Venture. Yes, sir? The remote. The goat? The remote. The, the remote? <clears throat> the remote? I thought he said the goat. It's the Popcorn Digest with Gareth and Andy. Hello and welcome to Popcorn Digest, the podcast about the films you love and some you don't. I'm your host, Gareth Green, and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time furry fuzzy fanboy, Andrew Raphael. You know, I really get off on the happy time murders. <laughs> you are sick, man. <laughs> sick! <laughs> <laughs> it's that silly string that does me. <laughs> And today we're shoving our hands up the arses of Kermit and his crew as we take on Muppets from Space! But is this close encounter of the felt kind and out of this world adventure? Or is the only question that Muppets from Space leaves us asking is, I wonder how many Muppets I could bludgeon to death with a bag full of bricks? Find out after the trailer. Welcome to a house where the normal routine... Good morning, everyone. The raspberry flapovers will be out in a moment. ...is anything but... <laughs> the kitchen is closed. The Muppets are back. She's a brat. They all had their place in the world. Except for Gonzo. I've always wondered where I came from, who I am. Hey, Gonzo, don't you think you ought to take a little break? You're starting to freak out the neighbors. Now, he's about to find out he's not alone. I know where I come from! I came from outer space! You look terrible! No, 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 Rizzo. I'm just fine. My God! My God! People of Earth, do not be alarmed. Oh, brother. Get ready for alien contact. Rizzo, come here. My Captain Alphabet is sending me a message. It said, are you there? Are you sure it didn't say, are you nuts? Close encounters. <laughs> and other shocking moments. La, 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 la. Wow. I should uh, go change, okay? The mothership is calling me home. The mood is tense. My hair looks great. Let's go get Gonzo. Columbia Pictures and Jim Henson Pictures. Now who wouldn't put too much gunpowder in the cannon? Take you where no Muppet has gone before. This is Miss Piggy with the UFO Alien Exclusive. What? Hello! This is my story! <laughs> there he is! from space. No nostrils. How do you smell? Awful. Trust me, I'm his roommate. <laughs> Muppets from Space finds terminally cock-faced puppet Gonzo troubled by the deepest existential questions of all time, such as, who am I? Where am I from? Is it meant to bend this way? <laughs> Joining him on his quest to find these answers are all of your favourite felt friends, from Kermit and Miss Piggy to Pepe the Prawn and Andy McDowell. <laughs> Muppets from Space takes our friends to the farthest reaches of deep space, where we meet racist Indian fish. 
Yet somehow the most unbelievable thing that happens in this movie about alien star and animal puppets is that it features Hulk Hogan for 30 seconds and he doesn't say the N-word. So, <laughs> Andy, Muppets from Space! This is like firmly one of your choices. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, lay it on us. What brought Muppets from Space to your door? Do you have any past experience with oh, the Muppets? I have a cool list of films. That you get off to. Well, no. <laughs> when we first started doing this podcast, I made a list of all the films that I wanted to do eventually, and I think it runs to over 100 films, I think. Uh, and I do keep adding to it from time to time, but this is one of the original ones. I think there's a couple of other Muppet films on there, but I think this one in particular, because it's a weird one. It's like a minor footnote when you actually look at all the other Muppet films combined, but yeah, it's instrumental because it actually actively contributed to the decline of the Muppets in the 2000s, and also it killed the Muppets on screen for a good 12 years. Yeah, well over a decade. Yeah, before Disney revived it with um, The Muppets in 2011, which is almost like um, it was an attempt at a relaunch, which unfortunately didn't last too long either. But um, no, The Muppets, I'd say, since the mid-90s have had a very rocky trajectory. You don't quite know what you're getting from one project or one film to the next. No, no. And it's the odd one out as well because it's the only... Muppet film that isn't a musical or has any musical numbers in it and also as well in the context of 90s Muppet movies it was the odd one out because it was yeah. the only Muppet feature film out of the three that didn't focus on a um, a classic tale so in a way it was kind of back to basics mm. when it came to the Muppets because we hadn't seen the Muppets in this context for quite some time in a feature film. For me, like growing up as a kid, I thought, oh, they're going to do another adaptation of something. Yeah. Which they did actually eventually do. Um, there's a TV movie that was made just after Disney purchased the Muppets in 2004 called Muppets Wizard of Oz. Starring Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Starring Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good. Amongst Muppet fans, it's very lowly regarded i feel like it was brushed under the rug even when it came out like, oh yeah it's awful it's not a good <laughs> film at all for me it's like the lowest point in the whole of muppets yeah. history that film but yeah it, from this it was kind of strange because i was used to seeing muppet films being released by disney and they're making mm -hmm. a big deal of it and then all of a sudden we've got this muppet film that's not based around a classic tale it's not been released by Disney, and it's not really been released with any fanfare at the time. I got yeah. the feeling that the Muppets weren't getting the kind of attention that they used to get. And that was kind of odd, because back in the day, growing up with these films, I think we've mentioned this before, What you get the impression, because you've seen it so many times, that you think, it, oh, it must be a big hit. Yeah, yeah. And... Muppet Christmas Carol especially because it becomes such a Christmas mainstay for so many people. Mm -hmm. You have the assumption that these films must have made a lot of money at the box office when that wasn't the case. I think Christmas Carol was a modest success and Muppet Treasure Island was it barely broke even. So yeah, it's not the best time for the Muppets. And a lot of this is obviously down to Jim Henson's death at the start of the 90s. He died on... Um, 
May 16th, 1990, um, from toxic shock yeah. syndrome as a result of viral pneumonia. It was a very sudden thing, and it, it caught everyone off guard. So, to be honest, the whole of the 90s is the Jim Henson company trying their best to regroup after this just sudden... Yeah, colossal loss. Yeah, because for me, Jim Henson is is to puppetry what Walt Disney was to animation. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, maybe not quite as successful as Walt Disney in the long term, but he had a, such a immeasurable influence, I'd say, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, mm-hmm. with Sesame Street, The Muppet Show, and then all the other stuff he did in the 80s, which there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff. Of course, yeah. I don't know about you, Gaz, but when I was growing up, Jim Henson was such a household name. Oh, yeah. When it comes to Jim Henson himself, like in my house and within my family, because we were very much into even like the other films such as um, Labyrinth and um, our family was into like Dark Crystal as well, which is a film I've not seen all the way through still even now, (laughs) but it did scare me when I was younger. Yeah. So you have everything like that. Then you have everything to do with Sesame Street. We watched the big bird movie on repeat as well when you know we had a videotape of that and then you have all of the muppet films and to us his name was as big as walt disney yeah in our little like um circle and we we, i did as well i thought all of these films were like huge successes Yeah. yeah but i will say in regards to like muppets from space in particular this one is the odd duck, not just in terms of the fact that it's not based on any literary background or it doesn't have any musical numbers or anything like that, it's an odd duck for me because it's the only one of this lot that I haven't actually seen till now. Yeah. <laughs> At least in one sitting. Yeah. I'd seen plenty of it over the years. I'd seen caught clips here and there. My brother had it on VHS, so I caught odd bits here and there. But this is my first time sitting down and watching it, watching it, you know, like really paying attention. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, it feels like it's filling a little void, a Muppet-shaped void. Yeah, for me, like, The Muppets is, is another keystone of my childhood. It's one of those things that I can't remember first seeing because it's just always been there. And I had a lot of, like, videos. I think, um, is it Palace? Palace video. They did some Muppet releases. Uh, I think I've got the Muppet movie yeah. as a Palace video and a couple of their TV specials. I think uh, the Muppets go to the movies, which is um special they did in the mid 80s with Dudley Moore and Lily Tomlin. Oh, yeah. I remember yeah. wearing the hell out of that. And also, I think a Muppet's a celebration of 30 years. So I think I got all the films that made up to that point on VHS. And, yeah, there was always something on. There was always some sort of Muppet TV special. or I didn't see much of the Muppet show at the time because it wasn't really available, but I did see quite a lot of it later on. That's what I was going to say. I I mean, when it comes to, like, the background of the Muppets, I will say I still really haven't... Like, I haven't seen all of the old Muppets films. I haven't seen The Great Muppet Caper, for example. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I've told told you this before. Well, (laughs) it's another one of those. I've not seen it all the way through. But I've seen probably enough of it to say I've seen it, but not yeah. all the way through in one sitting, which doesn't really count. Mm. So there are still films that I still haven't seen, but there are other things that I had, like like as you mentioned, like specials. And we did used to have a VHS with a few Muppet episodes on, like that kind of thing. And that, yeah. that was our yeah. introduction to the Muppets growing up as well. It's weird as well to think that 
after being in people's lives for so long, for these formative years, for decades, in fact, all the way through up until the 90s, we suddenly had this, to allow this gap of like 12 years, really, of, of like zero, <laughs> but of like there being nothing really being pushed out to audiences, it feels like, well, you're shooting yourself in the foot by allowing generations to get ahead of the Muppets kind of thing, to grow up in a place where they don't exist. Yeah, I mean, there was quite a few TV movies that were made at that time. There's the... Um, all felt very half-hearted, though. Yeah, it's the very Merry Christmas Muppet movie, Muppets Wizard of Oz, Muppets Letters to Santa, and <laughs> it was weird that when Disney eventually bought the Muppets, because it had been a long time coming, because that was the thing that Jim Henson was trying to negotiate at the time of his death. There's a lot of complications that I'll go into in a minute regarding yeah. that. And, yeah, so it was a long time coming. I mean, they don't own jim henson wholesale they only own the rights to the they only own the muppets and right Bear in the big blue house so everything else jim henson is still independent so it's not like a pixar deal where they own it lock stock and barrel it's uh it's very different to that uh, because it was a a pre robert Iger deal as well it was a, a late michael eisner deal so what's not the same as the kind of acquisitions that the disney company would be making now yeah but yeah, it was very half-hearted initially. I'm wondering whether that's because of the change in leadership and also the fact that maybe Robert Iger thought that the Muppets weren't as valuable an asset to the company as maybe Eisner did because of the history in initially trying to get the Muppets sold. There is a, a real complicated thing. So when Jim Henson died, Disney automatically thought that with his death, the company itself was devalued. So there was a, a big lawsuit that went on for the rest of 1990 yeah. and it wasn't settled until the following year and Disney had a license deal which meant that they could use the Muppets in the parks and they had the video rights and things like that and they had the option to finance and distribute some Muppet films of which two were made so the Muppet Christmas Carol which is yeah. pretty much now a Christmas classic Right up there with the Polar Express. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and Muppet Treasure Island. Yeah. Which, to be honest, of the 90s films at that time, when I was a kid seeing them, Muppet's Treasure Island was my favourite. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Me and Jack, my brother, were like pretty much obsessed with that movie. We watched it on repeat. I can't even remember how many times I went to the cinema to see that one as well. I must yeah. have seen it at least three or four times at the cinema. I do think that Muppet's Christmas Carol has probably overtaken it now just in terms of the quality of the film and everything like that but i think i'll always have the space for muppets treasure island in my heart over everything else treasure island is a funny one because in a way it's i think it's more muppety than than christmas carol yeah, christmas carol gets real serious sometimes in a kind of non-muppety way and also i think some of the live action elements slightly overtake the muppets in that film so yeah i think for me i i did prefer treasure island at the time because yeah it's probably a bit more inconsistent but there are some amazing things in it like fozzy with his little imaginary friend and his who lives in his finger <laughs> mr bimbo and stuff like that <laughs> and rizzo opening the little cruise tour for all the rats so there's the rats on the boat having a little cruise <laughs> oh like, yeah the stuff like that that's oh. just magic my favorite was dead tom's dead oh dead tom's always been dead 
That's why he's called Dead Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the other one as well, like, it's probably not aged so well, but the um, indigenous pigs that live on the island. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's probably not aged very well, actually. No, but also the best line is uh, when they come to ambush the pirates and then Long John Silver shoots them in, and it's like, I see you have boom boom sticks. Bye bye. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's probably not aged so well, but it's still it's still pretty funny to be fair. And also, it's Muppet, so you yeah. can kind of let it slide a little bit. Not the racist Indian fish. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Muppets from Space also has animal in full Jewish garb. Yeah, going oi shalom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um. It's interesting that we talk about Muppet Treasure Island because when that was being made, a lot of these dealings which lead to the fact that Muppets from Space was made and made with Sony, these things were all going on in the background. So I managed to find a, uh, an article from the um, LA Times from 1995 when Muppet Treasure Island was being shot. Yeah, And this is when Jim Henson Productions signs a deal with Sony so, it's a bit controversial. And the history of the Henson Company post Jim Henson's death is, I mean, even pre to that, their associations and dealings have never been particularly watertight. But the deal was not shopped around, and it was done under Disney's nose. Right. And the reason was, because I was trying to work out, why did the Muppets suddenly move from Disney to Sony. It didn't make sense mm-hmm. at the time, and it still didn't until I read this. But Lisa Henson, who was the eldest daughter, was president of Columbia at the time. Oh, right. <laughs> so the deal grew a lot of criticism because it was seen as a conflict of interest. Yeah. And also, just prior to that deal, they did a deal with the Children's Television Workshop to make feature films for Sesame Street. So it meant that they had two productions on the go at the same time. So they had the Muppets Space Project and Elmo and Grouchland. Yeah. And as is the norm now, I don't think it was that normal back then, but they um, they had the concept for having a Muppet film set around the theme of space. But instead of committing to one script, they had two writers writing two completely separate scripts competing scripts yeah yeah one of the scripts was called muppets in space and that was by kirk thatcher and that was a more of an actual adventure in space yeah i suppose it would be a bit like pigs in space but with all the muppets and they'd be on a big spaceship going through the galaxy which apparently was quite fun so they originally were going to go with that and then apparently um the second concept which i'm not sure whether it was called muppets from space but it was based around UFOs, and it was written by Jerry Jewell, who was a um, a veteran Muppet writer at the time. He'd written for The Muppet Show, and I think he started out in the 60s. And he submitted his version, and they ended up going with that instead of the space adventure, I imagine for budgetary reasons. Uh- <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, you can see why one of them won out over the other. Although, to be honest, I mean, we are talking about the 90s. It is the era of the alien visitation movie. Yeah. um, Yeah. And TV show from the X-Files to Independence Day and more. Yeah. So Randall Kleiser was hired as director who'd most famously directed the 1978 movie version of Grease. And they hired Joseph Mazzarino to redraft 
dual script. Now I've got a quote from him which is quite comprehensive when it comes to dealing with the rest of the uh, production of the film. So... The movie was a miserable experience. <laughs> we were working with the director, Randall Kleiser, who directed Grease, one of my favorite movies. We got the green light. It was Jerry Jewell's script, and they asked me to do a pass, and I wrote a very parody-heavy script. We parodied Men in Black, Contact, Alien, and we were very close to shooting. Then I got a panicked call from Henson saying that they were firing Randall. They said, we don't feel like he's bringing enough vision. I said, but we've got the green light, we're going. So they flew me out to LA to pick a new director and we picked a director who was a very nice guy and he did a decent job, but he wanted to get rid of all the parody stuff. He wanted it to be more real. And the ending, I hate the ending. In my draft, the aliens were getting the signal of old Muppet shows and they made themselves look like Gonzo because he was the ultimate being to them. And then they peel back to reveal themselves to be these hideous creatures. <laughs> I prefer that. Yeah, and it's not about family being those guys. His family is the Muppets. Of course, So yeah. he's still a whatever. He's not an alien in the end. So the fact that they made him an alien bugs the crap out of me. Anyway, they hired him. He wanted to make all these changes, and I just left. I mean, I actually agree. One of the notes that I wrote is that I kind of wish that we didn't have a definitive answer who Gonzo is. That's part of the fun of Gonzo. Yeah, the ending of this movie for me, is the weakest part of the film. And it's funny calling it Muppets Law or Muppets Canon because it's very <laughs> very loose and wacky anyway. I mean, yeah. but to be honest, this revelation that Gonzo is an alien has been completely ignored by everything else and people who are fans of the Muppets. Ah, so it's a bit of a The Principal and the Pauper, like yeah. the Simpsons episode where they reveal Principal Skinner. In fact, Amzen Tarzarian or whatever his name is. <laughs> They just don't reference it ever again. Yeah, it's now just completely non-canon. And yeah, it's it probably within the production team as well, they probably hated the idea, but because they got this new director who was Tim Hill. Yeah. Right, so Tim Hill, he was hired at the last minute and he'd mainly done television directing and writing for Nickelodeon. Yes. So he was an odd choice anyway because he hadn't had any feature film experience and he'd mainly just been working on Nickelodeon shows and cartoons. And yeah, I mean, to be honest, this is probably still the best film he's ever been involved in. <laughs> because if you look at his filmography later down the line, he is the, the genius behind uh, Garfield 2, A Tale of Two Kitties, Alvin yeah. and the Chipmunks, Hop, and the SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. And to give him credit, he is actually co- He's not co-creator, but he's co-developer on SpongeBob SquarePants. So he's got that. <laughs> That's one thing I will say is, for me personally, yes, this is Muppets from Space. Yeah, completely get that. Oh, oh, he also did the What on Grandpa movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Muppets from Space is definitely like amongst his best of, of a very, very weird and mostly bad bunch of movies. Oh, he did the Grumpy Cat movie as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> however, SpongeBob, I, I will always go to bat for SpongeBob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he does seem to have like um, pretty heavy writing credits throughout SpongeBob and also on the on the movies that were made. He did write the SpongeBob SquarePants movie as well. Also, like I wouldn't say I'm a SpongeBob fanboy, but like <laughs> early SpongeBob has its charm and yeah. is pretty hilarious at times. And uh, my kids love it. 
I love it. So, yeah, you get some props for that, but that is such a... St- oh, Alvin and the Chipmunks. No, no, no. He needs to be thrown in a pit. And Hop with uh, and Russell hop, Brand. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I didn't see Alvin and the Chipmunks at first. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. You know what? There's a famous thing about Garfield that Bill Murray always says, like, what's the film that he regrets doing? And it's Garfield, and that's a joke from Zombieland. And the thing that he always says is, he saw on a script that it was written by Joel Cohen, and he was like, oh, one of the Cohen brothers, it's going to be yeah. great. And it, obviously it's the wrong Cohen. <laughs> yeah. It's spelled differently. That's a huge assumption to make. <laughs> and I always think, if he hated it that much, why did he come back for the sequel? I know. <laughs> like, I know. They must have cut him a big check. <laughs> yeah. I'm one of these rare people that doesn't have a lot of time for Bill Murray. Now, I've never liked his shtick that much, to be honest. Uh, I'm probably one of the rare people out there who doesn't, but uh, I've never really taken with him. I like Bill Murray, and I like the era of peak Bill Murray, but I actually think he gave up a long time ago. Yeah. And has been doing the same thing ever since, and yet people seem to give him a pass for it. Yeah. Peak Bill Murray is fine for me, but yeah, that's another thing entirely. Yeah. So we have this last-minute change of director and a lot of things being changed very quickly, and we've also got the impact that when this deal with Sony was established... They established Jim Henson Pictures, and they wanted the film to be released in the February of 2000, because they thought, oh, nice sheltered release date for it. So it's not a, fuck you, it's January movie, but it's a, oh, February movie. Nice, gentle backwater period for films at that time, in this pre-Marvel era. And Sony had the idea that they wanted to position this movie as a blockbuster. So they decided to release it in the summertime of 1999. So you've got the double header of having a very short production and post-production period, and then the fact that it's being released for a very busy summer. And I imagine yeah. when we go into the stats and facts, you'll you'll realise how busy that summer of 1999 was. Yeah, it was, yeah. So you've got a very controversial deal... Last-minute change of directors, conflicting scripting, and a rush release. So I think the main thing really is to see, like, how do you feel about the movie, Gas? Okay, okay. So for me, I will say I liked it, Mm -hmm. but I didn't love it. And I have a special place in my heart for both Muppets Christmas Carol and Muppets Treasure Island. Yeah. And this doesn't live up to that for a variety of reasons. However... I did laugh. There were plenty of jokes throughout that that got me. And there are moments where it, um, it really tickled me. But I think there are just some like key elements holding it back. And also the concept in general, as you mentioned earlier on, it feels like a, an odd duck. But yeah. it's an odd duck against both what they were doing in the 90s and also what the Muppets were originally as well. The fact that there are no song numbers, the fact that it is one thing which goes straight back to the beginning... Also, the fact that, like, from 90s onwards, even if we take out the literary reference to a source material like Christmas Carol or Treasure Island or something like that, I still think, even though it's Gonzo's film, it's lacking, like, a focal point. Yeah, yeah. It feels a bit more all over the shop. I appreciate that they made it about a Muppet character. Yeah. But whereas when you look at Christmas Carol and you look at Treasure Island... You have these characters, yes, they're human characters, but the film hangs on them. 
I don't feel like they do enough with Gonzo to hang the film on him in that way. It's his story, but he often disappears for large chunks of it. In fact, for a big portion of it, he's in a room talking to a sandwich. <laughs> Which, yeah. But, but I did like it, and I did laugh at many of the jokes. It's a weird film for Gonzo anyway, because it focuses on him, but a lot of the time he's not acting like himself. I mean, there are moments of absolute batshit craziness, but yeah. there's not enough of them, especially when you compare it to... I think it's because his positioning in those previous two films, the storybook films, where he's the narrator, has slightly normalised Gonzo for audiences. He's not quite yeah. as odd as he used to be. If you watched like, The mm-hmm. Muppet Show and his earlier appearances in Muppet movies, especially The Muppet Movie, I think he's a plumber in that film. He's absolutely... Cr- <laughs> I mean, th- there's real moments of pathos because they even reuse a song and there's a remix of I'm Going to Go Back There Someday. And... I played that song to Jess, the original version from the Muppet movie. She was like, I don't think she'd seen the Muppet movie recently or she she couldn't remember it. She was like, are all the songs in the Muppet movie really sad? Because I, I play the <laughs> Rainbow Connection a lot. But I'm going to go back there someday is the other really sad song in that film. Yeah. And that's a Gonzo number. So it's a real tour de force, both ends of the spectrum in that film. But in this film, there's just not enough from each side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. Like there's a bit of pathos, but probably not enough pathos. And there's a bit of zaniness, but not enough zaniness. So it's a bit in the middle of the road for Gonzo yeah. in this film. And I think it's up to some of the other characters to um, carry that load. And it's a weird one for a lot of the characters, I think. They were trying to go back to this more, I'd say, more traditional Muppet-style movie of them being themselves rather than playing other literary characters. Yes, yeah. But because they'd had this period where they were playing other literary characters and so, and also they'd had television series where some of these characters were much more background i think they had a slight identity crisis at this time with who the muppets were and i still think they have one because there's so many series and films now where i don't feel they've got the characters right the 2011 muppets does that i I, it's not a film i particularly like that much because i don't feel it gets the characters very well Mm. It it does some of them but not a lot of them the infamous The Muppets TV show, the ABC show that they made, yeah. where it gets it completely wrong. And even some of the Disney Plus stuff now, I think the only one where apparently, I've not seen it yet, but the, the Muppet Haunted Mansion is supposed to be pretty good. But they've had this identity crisis for a long, long, long time. And uh, mm-hmm. it kind of starts in the 90s. And I think it's because they don't have that. It's very much like Disney when they lost Walt Disney. They don't have that steering anchor figure yeah no direction who understands his own concept and is yeah. like the be all and end all and unfortunately when you take that away they're left flailing a little bit you know they do try because there are yeah a lot of people still involved at this point who are part of the original muppets crew but you can sense that lack of direction in both the story and in the characters i think that is it for me i feel like um and this is uh, tied mostly as you mentioned earlier to its budget i think as well in terms of what they can do that it feels very rooted to what's essentially like three different locations. Yeah. This could have been better if it was more, and I know another film has done this, but if it was more of a road movie, if it was like an adventure to a place. And I know that like we have the film Paul, the uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost movie about trying to get an alien to a certain place, blah, blah, blah. But I almost feel like this film could have done that before then. (laughs) 
Well, it's it's funny you say that. The Muppet movie is a road movie. So I think that's probably why they didn't do that, because they'd technically already done it. Right. Because, you know, in the Muppet movie, they drive all the way across America. Um, right. They drive it. from the swamps in Florida to L.A. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think they were ever going to do that. Um, but, yeah, it does lack structure. And the third act, which is easily the weakest part of the film, exemplifies that, I think. That third act is so static. Yes, yeah, just that lack of structure, and I think, and yeah, the the fact that Gonzo is the centre, but he gets lost in it, and he's not really acting like himself a lot of the time. The other complication, I'm not sure whether you're aware of this, is the fact that a lot of the Muppet crew had either died or in the process of retiring. So you have. I thought you were um, going to say died or in the process of dying. Well, <laughs> well, um, <laughs> Jim Henson's gone. Richard Hunt died. I think in 1991 yeah. or two. And he was like Beaker, Scooter, all those kind of characters. Janice. Ah, uh, right, yeah. A huge gap there yeah. of characters. They can do, but only in a limited capacity because, especially with Richard yeah. Hunt's characters, you've got Jerry Nelson, who's one of the older puppeteers. He's kind of retired. I think uh, his characters are used very sparingly. And then the big one is Frank Oz. Of course. I'm not sure whether you're aware of this, but... In both this film and Muppet Treasure Island, Frank Oz wasn't really on set. Right, so that was something I was going to ask, because Frank Oz has traditionally always been the as much of a puppeteer. So, I mean, like you've seen it behind the scenes, and even like with Yoda and the like as well. He's very much involved in the performance of these puppets. So with these films, this and, would you say, Treasure Island? Yeah, Muppet Treasure Island. Muppet Treasure Island, yeah. So he wasn't actually on set as just a strict voice role for him. Just a voice role, yeah. Uh, I think he might have done a, a little bit, but literally like the odd day or two, because I think right. at this point of time he was concentrating on his directing career. So I think both times when they were making Muppet Treasure Island, I think he must have been making The Indian in the Cupboard. And yes. when they were making Muppets in Space, I think he was shooting Bowfinger. Right, right. I mean, it's a fair trade, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this meant that through most of the filming, his characters were handled by three supporting performers. Peter Lintz performed Miss Piggy. And Peter Lintz is more pivotal later on because he became a main performer and he is the, um, the puppeteer who performed Walter in The Muppets and Muppets Most yeah. Wanted. Ricky Boyd performing Animal. And then you had John Kennedy performing Sam the Eagle and Fozzie Bear. And for those people listening to the trailer, and you might want to spin this back, but when it gets to Miss Piggy's voice and Fozzie in the trailer, that is not Frank Oz. That is literally the production audio from when they were performing those characters originally <laughs> before Frank Oz came to loop them. Right, yeah. And... This is the end of the line when it comes to Frank Oz and his characters. This is the last time he was ever going to do anything. I imagine they had a lot of problems with this because I think, I think it shows, especially in this film, more so than the previous film, that he wasn't on set. Yeah. And from this point onwards, all of Frank Oz's characters are inherited by another puppeteer who's called Eric Jacobson. Right. But yeah, this is the last time him doing it. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things you maybe don't notice at the time, but when you actually... Mm -hmm know of it it's rather obvious but i think that gives the newer muppet performance more opportunity to stand out and for yes, me yeah. the saving grace of this film are the characters who are performed by bill barretta 
Oh, I knew you were going to say that. It's because they're my favourite characters. Yeah, he's kind of the leader of the Muppets now anyway. So his main characters are Bobo the Bear and yep. Pepe the Prawn. Pepe the Prawn. And those two characters save the movie for me. Pretty much everything that they do makes me laugh. From Bobo the Bear looking into the eye scanner as well <laughs> and then coming out the other side with those those great eyes that he's got on. And then you got Pepe the Prawn who's like... Like every line is effortlessly quotable. Yeah. But so's Bobo the Bear as well. Yeah. But like, I'm not a crab, I'm a king prawn. You will be able a jacuzzi, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every single line that Bobo the Bear, playing Rentro, as Bobo the Bear as a Rentro in this film. <laughs> yeah, every single line from him is just gold. Even the stupidest stuff as well, like on paper, it doesn't work, but he makes it work. Like when he asks for the remote and he goes, the goat? <laughs> See, we you've done that impression many times. Many, many times. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the remote. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it does, I've always thought, it just seems really silly, but it's delivered really, really well. Yeah. And how's that working out for you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps. Baby steps, sir. Baby steps. Yeah. Um, I mean, Pepe is um, not as well-loved a character uh, within Muppet fandom as I actually thought. They actually, um, a lot of people don't like him in this film because they think it upsets oh. the uh, the Gonzo-Rizzo dynamic. But watching the film again, they're not actually together for that long before they're all, they're all separated. So I don't, I don't yeah. get that argument. And I, I think for me, it's nice to have some of the new characters get a bit more of the spotlight, especially as some of these older performers are not as involved in the film. So it was a necessity, but because a lot of these characters come from either the previous film or... Did you ever see Muppets Tonight? I've seen bits from it, but I've ne- I didn't watch that one. That was yeah. the one that was... Uh... I remember really enjoying it. It's one of those classic BBC ones where they, they show the first few episodes and then they kind of just bail on it. Yeah. So I never saw the rest of the series because they made 22 episodes and I think the BBC only showed 13 of them and then the last two were just mm-hmm. shown at a lunchtime. I'm pretty sure that was my wife's introduction to the Muppets because she's a huge Muppets fan as well yeah. from from this era. And uh, I think this was something that... Uh, that she watched at the time. Yeah, but many of these new characters, like, yeah, Bobo the Bear, Pepe the Prawn, Johnny Fiamma, and Sal the Monkey, they all <laughs> came from Muppets Tonight. Right. So there's a bit of reticence when it comes to accepting these characters from yeah. like, Muppet diehards, because they, as there always is, because they're essentially the new blood as well. Yeah, and they're taking some of the spotlight away from the, the classic characters, but it's one of those things where... From the golden oldies. What can you do? If... Um, if you've got Frank Carlson, who's not able to be there and they haven't got a, a complete suitable replacement yet, there's not so much you can do with that. No. They are a bit more limited because really you've only got Dave Galtz, who does like Gonzo and Bunsen and Hayju and stuff like that. Steve Whitmer, who does Kermit and Rizzo the Rat. Yeah. Uh, and Bill Beretta. And, mm-hmm. and they're the main performers and everyone else is kind of in a supporting role at this point because i'm pretty sure jerry nelson leaped his dialogue because i'm sure on the trailer as well he voices the lead alien at the end of the film and on the trailer that is not his voice so i get i think again it's the same story as frank Oz. right but i do think those characters shine through for me and i i've loved them ever since i first saw this film yeah no same and it's weird that you mentioned about pepe the prom because that was always like a fan favorite character for both me and my brother yeah. When we were growing up. One thing I did want to like bring the conversation round to as well, 
is um, something that's kind of expected of a Muppets property is that there are cameos. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that the cameos in this film <laughs> are certainly an odd bunch, but they're not to the caliber that you would normally expect from no. a no. Muppets film. I get that the likes of Andy McDowell and um, Rob Schneider yeah. are like the names at the time, obviously, but they don't feel like... Uh, particularly prestige even now no they hadn't done this for quite some time really but when you're comparing it to some of i'd say the three classic muppet movies which are the the three movies that involve jim henson you get the muppet movie great muppet caper and muppet yeah. take manhattan now the cameos in those are magic and they have yeah. the very highest caliber guest stars <laughs> like you've got steve martin richard pryor joan yeah. rivers the list goes on and on and on with those films. You know, even Peter Ustinov makes a very brief cameo, <laughs> as he states in uh, Great Muppet Caper. The wealth of talent in those cameos in those early films is unprecedented. So when you're presented with <laughs> some of the cameos in this film, which, yeah, includes Rob Schneider. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a big step down. <laughs> The one that I was like, oh well, it's good to see him in this was uh, Ray Liotta, but it oh, did yeah. lead me to the uh, to the very dark thought of, I wonder if he snorted cocaine out oh. of Miss Piggy's arsehole like Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio does at the beginning of Wolf of Wall Street. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's know. something that you could put on your CV. Also, the issue with it for me is that there aren't really many cameos that feel appropriate to the genre as well if any at all yeah there's no one from a sci-fi film <laughs> for a start yeah i mean even at this time i know as you mentioned before that they're probably more like parody references to men in black and this like but how how does how, how do you make this film and not have like will smith and um at the very least we needed a ripped horn cameo <laughs> yes yeah exactly exactly yeah <laughs> or even like as a further afield we needed someone like richard dreyfus or something richard dreyfus yeah yeah <laughs> or someone from et or if the mothership would have landed at the end and yeah. richard dreyfus was the lead singer of the band <laughs> returning back to earth from his many exploits oh they dropped him off <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I think that's what happened with this last minute change in directors. They had all this parody stuff, which might have had all these in references, which may have allowed for some of these kind of cameos or yeah. something that alluded to that. And they lost it all, which is really weird because that's what the Muppets did best is lampoon stuff. It's the classic case of getting a director who doesn't really understand the material. Yeah, it does, does seem that way. And I think that's what people were annoyed about. The fact that they just he came in and just didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the film is still pretty good despite that, but it's one of those films that could have been so much more, given the ingredients. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, it's just a weird set of cameos in this film, like that Hollywood Hulk Hogan cameo is just bizarre. <laughs> and especially now because it feels so incredibly dated because they make reference to the fact that he's a bad guy now. Yeah. And it's like, anybody, my kids watch it now, they're going to be like, what? what's that even a reference to? No. <laughs> I actually had to read it up the other day because I didn't know what it meant. I thought yeah, he just he... meant it in the context of the film, but I didn't realize that he changed his whole persona and called himself Hollywood Hulk Hogan as to be like a yeah. villain wrestler. I didn't realize <laughs> that. So, yeah, that's all lost on me. And yeah. obviously the most egregious one is the uh, Dawson's Creek cameo. Oh, God, yeah. And the only reason that happened is because they were shooting in, uh, I think, North Carolina at the soundstage where they were shooting the film was in the same building as where they 
made Dawson's Creek. Right. And that's the only reason they're there, because they were shooting next door. And they thought, oh, we could have a, a Dawson's Creek <laughs> thing, get the kids in. Yeah, just random stuff like that. Yeah, it was very, very odd. They date the movie so badly. Because even though you've got other contemporaries at the time appearing in some of the other films, they are much bigger, more timeless figures. Of course, yeah. That first Muppet movie, especially, like there's so many people in that film. Mel Brooks in there as well. Orson Welles is in that film. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that film, especially, is an embarrassment of riches when it comes to its cameos. So the main um, human actor in this is probably Jeffrey Tambor. Yes. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Which uh, I think he has a good double act with Bobo the Bear. I think they make a good a good pair. Yeah, it's weird. They both share the same body type as well. <laughs> At this time, anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he must have lost a load of weight not long after this, because I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. many of the things he did in the 2000s, he was a lot thinner yeah. than this. It did make me laugh when Pat Hingle referred to him as boy. Yeah. You're on thin ice, boy. And I was like, he looks like he's about, he's like perpetually 60 years old. Yeah. <laughs> It's probably like 43. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if there's anything else to, to say. No, it's a no. bit of a weird one, yeah. It's one of those films that's kind of lacking in certain areas, but then at other times it's firing on all cylinders. So it's a really weird, like yeah. I was saying before, it's a real odd duck of a film. And there's so many there's so many great moments, but then other moments which, like, like every one moment of gold, there's another slightly weird bit. Yeah, yeah. Or a bit of like cringy comedy. Yeah, there's that. It's one of the only things where they try and reference something, but that men in black guy having the fight with Miss Piggy, that's weird. That is weird. I mean, to be honest, I think the whole bit in the TV station is a bit odd. Yeah. With Rob Schneider and Shelley Snipes <laughs> and stuff like that. It doesn't quite work. I think the best part of that scene is when Miss Piggy's on the TV and she freezes. That's quite funny. Yes. I think in a way, even though she's not used so much, that is actually quite a good Miss Piggy role because she hadn't been utilised in the previous films that well. Yeah. Because she was Benjamina Gunn in Muppet Treasure Island and then she was Mrs. Cratchit <laughs> in Christmas yeah, Carol. Yeah. So she had to be very subdued. Yeah, yeah. And in Muppet's Christmas Carol, she's mostly crying. Yeah. It's nice to see her back in a more natural state. So it's a nice callback to how some of the characters used to be. It's still one of those films that's very controversial within Muppet fandom as to whether they actually got it right or not. But then there's just wonderful things. And again, it's mostly from Bobo the Bear and Pepe the Prawn. Like there's just that thing where when Bobo originally like does the voiceover when he's introducing Covenant and he's so (laughs) smug about the fact that it's just cleverly disguised as a cement factory. (laughs) It actually pays that off when they have to get to Cape Doom and it's like, you can use my company car and it's a cement truck. (laughs) (laughs) And they're going like 20 miles an hour and it's like, safety for us, sir. (laughs) That's what I would say about this film is like, it's, um, we've done these type of films before where as a whole, I think that there are issues with the direction that was taken on a creative level. Like, yeah, did it need to be about this? Did we need to do this whole thing? But on a joke-by-joke basis, there's more that works and doesn't. Yeah. 
so if you look at it on that level as just like going through it with the jokes, with these characters, with those moments, it works. But once you take a step back, it doesn't. And that's what's holding it back from me counting it amongst the likes of Christmas Carol and Treasure Island, is that it doesn't feel as cohesive as those films did. And obviously yeah. it helps for those films that they are based on something. And I appreciate with this that they're getting back to an idea that's more Muppets, more like to the Muppets roots as well in terms of yeah, it's a film about the Muppets, not about something else with Muppets in it. I like that. I feel like though it almost needed more time to gestate and maybe a better idea to hang it on. But I'm still happy that we've got it. It's it's still a fun watch. Yeah. There's plenty of laughs, and if you've got kids, there are jokes in this that they'll just love. Yeah, and, and again, for me, I think it works to a point, and then I kind of think it generally does fall apart in that third yeah. act, where it just becomes set at the cape, and then the aliens come, they sing a song, they ask Gonzo to join him, he says no, they leave, they take Ed with them. The end. <laughs> And it's very, uh, it's very anticlimactic, really. I feel like they needed to be much more made of that. It felt like they ran out of money <laughs> at that point. It does. No, it, it does. Yeah. It genuinely does. That almost feels like the thing that's holding it back to me is like a... Uh, yeah. I wasn't surprised to hear what the budget was. I guess... So since we're talking about the money, I'll actually go over to the, um, to the box office side of things. So this film had a budget of $24 million, which, yeah, okay, it's a Muppets movie, but... I still feel like it's clear to me that they're a bit constrained by what they can do with that yeah. budget. It's a smaller budget than they'd had previously as well on like Muppet Treasure Island. That I think that's more like around sort of thirty-five million. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even remember at the time, it felt like a it felt like a cheaper film than the previous two Disney Muppet movies. It feels a little bit more made for TV. Yeah, it opinion. does. Yeah, it feels more like a TV special than it yeah. does an actual movie like the other ones feel like movies it feels more like a 90s movie <laughs> it does yeah yeah it feels more like a 90s teen comedy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so the budget is 24 million dollars now the film opened to four million dollars at the box office and it opened to number 10 yeah so i'm just gonna go we've already spoken about 1999 it was a packed year. This is yeah. like one of the famous years where it was an embarrassment of riches in terms of the films that were released. But let me just go through what was out that weekend <laughs> because <laughs> it's not quite the embarrassment of riches that you come to expect from that year. Yeah. So at number one, you have Eyes Wide Shut, which is excellent. Mm -hmm. Number two is American Pie. Yeah. Number three is Lake Placid. <laughs> number four is Big Daddy. Number five is Wild Wild West. <laughs> Number six is a film called The Wood. I've not seen that. <laughs> Never even heard of it. The Wood. It sounds like a sequel to American Pie. Yeah. <laughs> Number seven is Disney's Tarzan. Number eight is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. And number nine is The General's Daughter. And number ten, obviously, is Muppets from Space. So, I mean... That's not quality-wise, it's not the best week, but it is still a packed week. There's still a lot out. Yeah. I think a lot of people said at the time that it lost a lot of business to Tarzan. Yeah. Because it's the last Renaissance film. It was the last film for a while to make a significant amount of money uh, from Disney. I mean, in comparison, this made like $16 million domestically overall and 
worldwide gross was $22 million. So Yeah. In fact, Tarzan, I think, actually made the most amount of money since The Lion King out of all the Renaissance films. Oh, really? All the films in between hadn't done as well. I think Mulan did pretty well, but Pocahontas, Hunchback, Hercules, they kind of all underperformed. Whereas yeah. Tarzan actually made quite a nice chunk of change and then it just went, dropped off a cliff after that. So yeah, I think it lost a lot of business. And yeah, just the the very idea of trying to have a Muppet film, or at least this Muppet film, compete with the summer crowd was just bizarre. Like if they wanted to position it as a blockbuster, they should have given it the resources and the time that a blockbuster needs. Of course. Like they basically should have given it the treatment that Disney later gave to the Muppets because that was given the royal treatment at the time. So, yeah, it was just a bad movie management (laughs) in a way. Okay, so moving over to the critical side of things. So Muppets from Space has a 63% tomato meter reading, and the critical consensus is that if Muppets from Space lacks the magic and wit of its cinematic predecessors, this pleasingly silly space romp is funny and clever enough to make for better-than-average family entertainment. I mean, 63% sounds about right for me. It is an average of 6.2 out of 10 from the critics, of which there were 57 reviews. Now, I did go back to Roger Ebert again, even though after last week he got a little bit bit too racy with his review of Basic Instinct (laughs) 2. So I asked him to tone it down a bit, and unfortunately he did. There was no, like, jokes about Miss Piggy's bacon or anything like that, you know. Or Gonzo's penis nose. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So he said, the new Muppets movie lacks the kind of excitement the first one's generated, maybe because Muppets have become a little dated, except for younger viewers, or maybe because the kinds of animals in the two Babe movies show such an advance in special effects that we almost wonder why the Muppeteers go to all that trouble to physically manipulate their creatures. Which, I guess that is a bit, like, odd way to phrase things. But I also disagree with them entirely. That's an odd comparison. It is. Actually, isn't even Babe a Jim Henson creature thing? As an aside, like, for my love of Jim Henson, I I used to get a lot of books, of which this is one. This is one called The Works, which I would highly recommend. If you can find it secondhand, it's a a really good read. But I've got another one called... um, no Strings Attached, which is particularly focused on Jim Henson's Creature Shop, which at that time was based in Camden. And they did all sorts of complex creatures. And the fact that he's comparing Babe, which they did, uh, it's the same yeah. company <laughs> to this, which is kind of weird. And the fact that that's a naturalistic looking film and this is not doing that, it's just a very bizarre comparison. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just to give a, a little rundown of that. They supplied approximately 50% of the total shots for Babe. Yeah. 50% of the total shots for Ferdinand the Duck. Yeah. Fly and Rex the Sheepdogs, they did approximately 10% of that. And Duchess the Cat was 90% of total shots. And obviously the Singer Mice were 100% animatronic. Yeah. So their animatronics were used extensively. Obviously, there were real animals used as well. But that just goes to show just how much of the... The film is just Jim Henson all over again yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, so Roger Ebert gave the film two out of four. That was his review. Now, the audience score is 58%, and that's with a 3.5 out of 5 average rating, and uh, it has a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 
which is all it's all relatively the same it's exactly where i would put the film to be honest in my opinion it's it's a six out of ten movie for me yeah i think it's one of those films that in in today's black and white film reviews is seen as that awful muppet film that banished the muppets from theaters for 12 years it uh, was a smear on the muppets name that kind of thing which is probably explains that audience score and it, yeah, it is a film that is very controversial within Muppet fandom. And I don't think entirely deserving because there are still wonderful yeah. moments within it. And there's nothing outright terrible in it either. No, 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 no. That's absolutely right. Racist Indian fish aside. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't hold up at all. And it's not even particularly funny. You could probably have cut that bit out or done something else. It, that bit doesn't really work for me. It, it is a very odd mix though. Like not having the musical numbers was maybe down to the change of direction. Also the shortened time scale they had to make the film as well. Yeah. Although I quite like it. The 70s music... I don't understand how that plays into the theme of the film. Seems a bit oddly placed. No, I don't quite get that either. I don't get Brick House being like the song to hang this film on. No, I think what had happened, they they had the idea to use Shining Star by Earth, Wind & Fire and then decided, let's do all the soundtrack like that. Let's have this 70s soul and funk soundtrack that must have been the thinking throughout because everything does feel a little bit haphazard and rushed yeah. where they've not really had much time to think it through and see whether it was that a good idea or not. There's things like that that bother me, but then there's other things like, oh, this, and again, they're mainly involving Boba the Bear and Pepe the Pro, and like, I love the Jeffrey Tambor's, you know, when he gets the little pamphlet out and it's like, Mr. Jumbo Circus Town and Wild Animal Review. <laughs> <laughs> there's just great things like that in the film and... Yeah, I think that's why I don't come back to this film that regularly, but I still do come back to it because at the end of the day, it is a Muppet film and it's still part of the, I'd say, undisnified Muppets. Yes, yeah. That were around at the time. Because again, I don't get along with them. Um, I still haven't actually seen Muppets Most Wanted, which is weird that I haven't seen it. I've got it, never watched it. I've heard so many mixed things about it that it's just. It's it stops appealing to me. Yeah, and I think it's because it's got Ricky Gervais in it, and I'm not a massive Ricky Gervais fan. Yeah, same. And also because I didn't... It's not a bad film by any means, but I didn't respond that well to The Muppets in the 2011 film. It didn't do an awful lot for me. I didn't like the idea of depressed Kermit (laughs) and stuff like that. It just didn't work for me as much as it should have done. But um, I do like The Muppets. I like The Muppets quite a lot, but I also don't have... Like you say, there's still many Muppets films, many classic era Muppets films I haven't seen. Yeah, I would definitely highly recommend watching those original three Muppets yeah. films. They're shooting to the top of my list. Those three Muppet films, and um, it's annoying that you can't get it, but Follow That Bird, I think you mentioned it before, The Big Bird, Sesame Street oh, I've seen movie. I've seen Follow That Bird, yeah. That's great as well. I think that's got 90% of Rotten Tomatoes that follow that bird. That is a classic. It is great. That was one of the ones that we had on VHS growing up. That one I think I remember just renting a lot. I never owned it, but I rented it and multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I think I had it taped off TV because it had uh, adverts. Yes. That was a, a 90s thing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to do that tape <laughs> off the telly. Yeah. And just one last thing, because like like I said, because this film was so basically dead on arrival, this film, they yanked yeah. it out of the cinemas rather quickly, and it was on video within three months, which is incredibly wow, quick that... at the time, because apparently it takes a lot longer to make videos than it does DVDs, so 
that's why there used to be a much longer gap between theatrical and, course, and release yeah. because it took longer to make the videos. As somebody said, I actually had the feeling that they thought this was going to be a turkey before it came out and had the videos ready. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I think Sony, I don't know why they just didn't delay it and get it released in February. It might have made more money for them because maybe they just thought, we'll see how much it does and then we'll get it on video it'll probably make more on video than it will do in the theaters so maybe they just thought it yeah cut their losses kind of thing it's just a really odd thing considering how they acquired the muppets and then what they did with them yeah yeah it is elmo and grouchland didn't do so well either and that was released in the same year and from uh, muppets point of view now it's just an odd little chapter within the muppet story that they moved to sony for a very brief period of time and then they got sold to a I think EMT or something got they got sold to a company. Yeah. They got sold for quite a lot of money, like six hundred and forty eight million dollars. And then I think they tried to find a buyer and then the Henson family ended up buying it back for eighty four million dollars. <laughs> so oh my God. it devalued by six hundred million dollars or something like that. But maybe the Henson <laughs> family made quite a lot of profit on that because they sold it for a lot and then bought it back for cheap. Yeah. Anyway, and then they sold the Muppets to Disney and that's another story entirely. So <laughs> Yeah, this is just a weird little footnote in the history of the Muppets. Yeah, it is. It's also, like, as we mentioned, if it comes down to the fact of recommending it or not, I still would absolutely recommend yeah, it, yeah. even though I have reservations with it. I would still say it's it's a film that's absolutely well worth watching. Yeah, still a lot of fun. And that's all we have time for on the latest episode of our show. But if you join us next time, Andy and I will be playing with our joysticks <laughs> as we take on... <laughs> One of the greatest video game movies ever committed to the screen. That's right, we're taking on Paul W.S. Anderson's Resident Evil. One. <laughs> yeah, the first one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but until then, I've been Gareth. And I'm going to put something sexy on and slip into the jacuzzi, okay? <laughs> Thanks for listening. And yet so far Sometimes the sky calls